Welcome to the podcast series on the COVID-19 Response Toolkit for Education. This is the first episode of the series. UNESCO is developing the COVID-19 Response Toolkit in partnership with McKinsey and Company in response to the crisis and as part of the work of the Global Education Coalition that the organization launched late March 2020. The objective of the coalition is to facilitate inclusive learning opportunities for children and youth during this period of sudden and unprecedented educational disruption. I'm Brian Chacron, Director of Division for Policies and Lifelong Learning Systems at UNESCO headquarters in Paris. Today, our focus will be on Chapter 1 of the Toolkit, Remote Learning Strategy. And I'm pleased to have here today a guest who has led the development of the chapter, Nina Props, a partner in McKinsey Geneva office and a leader of the European Social Sector Hub. Welcome, Nina, and thank you for coming on to speak with us about this important topic, remote learning. Thanks, Boren. Very happy to be here and excited to talk about the chapter one on remote learning. Nina, in a very short period of time, remote learning has become the default approach for most education systems around the world, many of which have closed their school year. Although remote learning is not new, it was already present before, particularly in higher education and adult learning systems. However, the disruption from the pandemic has given the impetus for the acceleration toward its broader adoption. As we have seen in the countries, all education systems, regardless of income level, are still assessing what works and what did not work during the remote learning experience to date before seeing what solution to bring forward. The chapter of the toolkit aims to bring together the knowledge and experience. Nina, why is it important for policymakers and education leaders to draw lessons and to continue giving attention to remote learning going forward? Thank you, Boren. So I think there are a couple of reasons to focus on remote learning. One, it is, of course, absolutely critical in the current COVID crisis. At the peak in mid-April, there were 1.6 billion children across 190 countries that were not at school as they were used to be. Even in mid-June, only around one-fourth of the countries had begun to reopen partially for some. So therefore, it is very important and still unclear when schools will reopen in most of the countries. And while remote learning solutions were put in place, there is still a real room for improvement. But also there is a very strong risk of resurgence. And it cannot be ignored that remote learning strategies might need to be put in place again or newly if a second wave is materialized. We can see this in Israel, we can see this in Spain, where already a couple of cities have gone back to lockdown. But also not all countries have reached the peak of the crisis. If you look at Africa, they might need to set up the new strategies for remote learning capabilities. So in any scenario, the remote learning is critical. But also if we think about the future, the remote learning can support preparedness for future crises, other ones that will come after Ebola, after COVID-19. And these best practices could also be applicable in low resource settings or as countries post-COVID want to incorporate remote learning with more face-to-face -face learning in the long term. Nina, these are very important points you are highlighting, but how can systems decide which is the right mix of approaches for remote learning according to their context? If they have to take first steps and Based on the suggestion we are making in the toolkit, what are the first steps that they have to consider? 
So I think there are two critical components. The first one involves really setting up the parameter of your learning strategy. What are the guiding principles for your remote learning strategy? And what are the trade-offs that you want to make? So for example, there is a choice to be made between narrow or broad scope, meaning are we limiting the remote learning approach to addressing the immediate needs and consequences of school closure, and it's only a COVID solution that we're looking for? Or are we using this as an opportunity to really consider longer term use and a kind of new future for the learning? Another decision could be between speed and quality. Are we prioritizing a very quick rollout of a usable, okay version that we then iterate through user feedback? Or are we waiting for the optimal high quality platform that can then help with more perhaps better user adoption and high level, high level learning outcomes. But there is also a choice around pace. Is this gonna be a class pace with all students following the pace of the teacher and being together at all the same levels? Or are we gonna allow students to study at their own pace to tailor their expectations to their own situation? Another option could even be, are we trying to do partial coverage or do we want universal coverage, which might mean waiting for everyone to have access. And we will talk a little bit more about the second component that is linked, which is how do we assess the system current baseline? We would look at four dimensions. We would look at the digital infrastructure, how stable and available is basic digital infrastructure, what is the percentage of homes with stable electricity with availability of broadband? When you look at the World Bank data, three of 54 low-income and FCG countries have internet penetration that is above 50%. So are we going to wait for everybody to have access or will we go for a partial coverage? Secondly, what are the capabilities of students but also teachers? How accessible are devices to students and teachers? What are the skills? What is the, the kind of ability of teachers to be trained on these platforms? Or what is the percentage of parents that are able to provide children with basic tech support? Thirdly, we would look at the ed tech platform availability and how much content is available or can be made remotely available quickly in terms of number of subjects that are already online. And then the fourth one is about the existing budget and the funding capacity, or can we leverage potentially partnerships and ed tech companies in the territory to expand this? So as you see, all these options are feasible and will come together, and this will end up in fit for context solutions. And to give you a couple of examples, in Papua Guinea or in Cameroon, online learning is entirely unrealistic for most learners and students in remote communities. And therefore they had to continue going for hard copy of workbooks. On the other extreme, you have countries like Jordan or South Korea who possessed really the digital infrastructure permitting almost all students to participate in online learning. And then you have some in the middle like Chile who went for an online learning in most urban areas but in remote rural areas had to continue using workbooks. And it's absolutely critical to ensure that there is no misalignment between ambitious high-tech solutions and the access that some disadvantaged rural communities might have, which is what happened in Iran. So perhaps one question for you, Boren, is talking about these different um, 
you know, examples of countries and seeing how TV broadcasted some of this remote learning, how others went for workbooks. One important aspect is, of course, equity. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about the equity considerations that we had in the remote learning toolkit. Indeed, Nina. Equity uh, is central to uh, all the initiatives and the work uh, we are conducting and believe it is the same for our McKinsey colleagues. Um, let me say that the, the Global uh, Monitoring Report, uh, the 2021, uh, has a very nice slogan, which is all means all. So I believe that education system have to ensure that everybody is benefiting from the remote learning using different technologies and different approaches. But looking at the learning challenges system need to address, uh, I think specific initiative can be put in place. Of course, depending on their digital maturity, system can create additional incentives or support structures to reward and engage at-risk students. For countries with low digital maturity, countries can prioritize, for example, existing mass platform for mass remote learning delivery. You refer to the examples of TV and radio. Probably for high digital maturity countries, they can use online platform. Uh, uh, and uh, in that case, students are more familiar with the technologies. But having said that, we need to pay attention to the fact that even in the most developed countries, we have pockets of students who struggle to access, to access the remote learning platform for various reasons, for connectivity, for uh, access to equipment and devices, for also access to the uh, cost of the, uh, the connectivity. And uh, obviously, this is the case, uh, for example, in, in countries like France or in the US. So equity uh, is important everywhere and we need to keep uh, give attention to it. That's why it is important to have multiple channels of remote learning combining high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech solutions. I believe that ensuring equal access is not just about rolling out remote learning capabilities. It's also about monitoring their usage and effectiveness and reflecting the prioritization of equity in high-level policy decision and in action that are taken by the different uh, education systems and at different levels. That is great, Brian. Thanks a lot. And if I may add on this, I think there are two more considerations. I think one is looking at the learning loss and looking at what are the groups of students that are most at risk. And I think you can see how younger students tend to have a quicker academic growth and therefore the higher risk of academic loss. But also what are vulnerable students? Vulnerable meaning students with special needs or children of immigrants and non-native speaker students or even students in unsafe environments where we believe that being cut from learning can have a huge impact on their future career. And each will have a particular set of challenges for which systems need to come up with very different solutions to ensure the equity amongst the entire student population. But also systems need to consider different challenges. There are non-learning challenges, which can be about the student well-being, physical health, mental health, emotional health, cognitive health, but also, of course, learning challenges, which include engagement and retention. We can see a lower motivation to study remotely, which is difficult when you're in isolation, requiring, especially also for students with special needs, a special attention, but also the access, as you mentioned, Boren, 
the lack of internet connectivity, of learning devices, of non-suitable workspace. If you look at Africa, the total edtech spend is less than 5% of the total spend, which very clearly increases this gap. So if we look at some of the data, I think it's interesting to see how the Global Education Innovation Initiative at Harvard University founded response. The respondents reported that only half of the students were able to access all or most of the curriculum. And an additional 12% indicated that they were able to access a good amount, but not all. So let's keep this in mind when we think about equity. Indeed, Nina. A comprehensive approach is, is important and is needed. But there is an important actor that has to be considered and uh, has to be included in all the strategies that countries are actively engaging with. This is teachers. And of course, one of the major issues we hear from all uh, countries is the difficulty of training teachers to use the platforms that are available and to engage in remote learning. From uh, the experience we are sharing with the countries and from the toolkit, what are some strategies that countries can consider to address this? Thank you, Brian. This is a, a critical question. And I think the, the faculty motivation is one of the most important enablers for success. And therefore, thinking how we can motivate, incentivize teachers is critical. And when we look again at some of the data, today, across Sub-Saharan Africa, you already have a shortage of qualified teachers of about 17 million in primary and secondary levels. But this gap and this shortage would even be greater if you need to have remote teaching capabilities and capacity. But what I would like to point out is that teachers are not the only actor in the teaching ecosystem that need to be trained. We need to think about content experts, master teachers, school leaders, but also the staff that is supporting the teachers and that should be considered as training. In terms of the training we have seen, and you've seen this, for example, in the Emirates, is they deliver training to teach how to focus on distance education strategies, how to do distance education management of virtual classes. So they had these different trainings. And I think there are a few topics that we have looked into, which is one, the technical onboarding, which involves how do you even access and navigate the relevant platform? How do you manage interactive features and use advanced features such as data collection and analysis? But the second point is around instructional training, which consists of how do you create a lesson plan that is flexible for both in-person and remote delivery? How do you balance different student engagement modes so that it's kind of taught in live mode or through a synchronized material? How do you increase the gamification of student learning? conducting also non-academic activities. And then the third one is, how do you teach the teachers to engage students remotely and to keep them motivated? How do you build a classroom culture remotely and keep them interested in the different courses? Indeed, Nina, these are very important points, but also I think that uh, it's important for system to consider and develop their teachers' ability to recognize signs of socio-emotional and mental health needs in their students and manage their own mental health, which might suffer from increased workload, pressure to support students' well-being and success and personal issues related to the crisis. As uh, the Global Education Innovation Initiative at Harvard University survey found, 
that respondent reported that 67% of students who were able to access the school curriculum did it through teachers, reinforcing in a way their centrality. Unfortunately, only 26% of respondents reported teachers received funds to take courses to develop their own professional uh, skills. And nearly 89% of respondents said existing online distancing learning platforms were used to provide teachers with the professional development. So there is uh, much to be done in uh, reinforcing the teachers' capabilities, but also in accompanying them in delivering uh, remote learning and ensuring that no one is left behind. Thank you for joining us today, Nina, to speak about remote learning. Thank you, Brian. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Dear colleagues, you can find more information on the toolkit and the remote learning strategy chapter, including a more detailed description of the problem, the framework of response, case studies and practice checklist of action on the Global Education Coalition website. In addition, for more information, you can access materials developed by other members of the coalition around remote learning. Thank you, Nina, for joining us today. Mm-hmm.